faithful. And so we're going to rejoice in God's work in the past, what he's doing today in the present, and what we believe God is going to continue to do in the future. And so um, we have invitations for you today. Uh, Please go to the 25th anniversary table over here to get your invitation, invitation if you haven't received one already. If you are new, we have one printed for you as well. So please be invited. Um, We've got extras for everyone. Now, in light of preparing for this, so there's a team of people who've been working for months already. So they've been serving you already. How can you serve them? Glad you asked. You can serve them by RSVPing early. All right, that serves that preparation team so much. And so, so many of you already know, all right, we're going to be there. It's a Sunday. Um, It's going to be an extended Sunday um, of a lot of different events taking place, but serve them by letting them know so that they can prepare well for all of us. All right, and then kind of with that, but a little bit different, next week, we're going to do a first through seventh grade children's ministry class, one week only. All right, one week only next Sunday, and that's in light of our 25th anniversary celebration as a local church. We want to gather the kids together, first through seventh grade, during our normal children's ministry class time, um, so after the worship time, and we're including, yes, sixth and seventh graders, which we don't typically do, but here's why. We want their input. We want their help to think through Um, our upcoming anniversary party. We're going to be meeting in the gathering room and they're going to be answering the question, why is a local church God's plan? All right, so we want to engage the kids on this anniversary party as well um, and help them think through. So we're going to have conversations, teaching, games, and they're going to find the answer to that question in God's word. The second half of the class is going to be devoted to planning a children's area for the 25th anniversary, and we're just going to look for their opinions, ideas, um, and we just want them to feel a part that this is not something that happened 25 years ago, and now they're a part of the church, and so that'll take place next week. All right, so before I preach the word, I want you to remain seated, and I just want you to engage and listen um, as the worship team plays this next song.
Father, we ask that you would come now and meet with us. You are an awesome, awesome, awesome God. Holy, awesome God. Lord, regardless of circumstances, fill our hearts with joy. This day I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Title this morning is Where Joy is Found. And before we get to that, I mentioned last week I was going to share with you a favorite Columbia memory from a couple weeks ago. I was in Columbia and uh, I wanted to share a little bit of story with you. So, uh, first picture on the screen is just the outdoor. Uh, that's the sign on the building. In a church, this is in an extremely, extremely poor area in Barranquilla, Colombia. Uh, sign says Sublime Grace. It's the name of the church. It means Amazing Grace. And if you, I don't know if you can see this, but the five solas are written across the bottom there. And uh, it was just a joy when I took a picture of that. I was like, oh, he's got the solas up there. Just love that. So the next picture is inside the building. And uh, that's Juan, Aaron, uh, you know, and Pierre there on the left. Pierre pastors the church. Um, Pierre, I'm doing this, these pictures out of order, geog um, time order, in that uh, we actually met at his house, but I want to explain his house in a minute and what took place there. Then we walked to the church, and the walk to the church is, um, well, you haven't had this walk. It's rough. And it's, it's walking through trash and across streams on a, you know, plank this big. And uh, it's, it's rough. It's extremely poor. And uh, so you walk to here. I mentioned last week that this, any church, most of the churches are just converted houses. And so the house has been gutted, um, opened up, and it's just a rectangle. And uh, if you notice in the top right, there's an AC there. It doesn't work. All right? And so... You can, go, you can see Aaron there. You can go to the next picture. Um, you can see him a little bit more. <laughs> he's, he's sweating. It's hot in this building. And so um, the fans, well, one fan, maybe it's not on yet, but the fans were running, and it just was blowing the heat around. That's all it was doing. It was so incredibly hot in there. So the next picture um, is a picture of trees and dirt and shade. So this is right around the corner from the church, which is where the church meets when it's too hot to meet inside. Because did I mention the AC is broken? And all you do is blow hot air around. Um, yeah, so that's where you meet when it's too hot to meet inside. Um, by the way, Pierre, I texted with Juan this morning. What is, what is Pierre, what does he draw? Give me US dollars. Um, and so... Pierre makes about $450 a month pastoring this church. His heart, um, by the way, he barely speaks English and I barely speak any Spanish. So we met in the middle. Here's what's amazing, right, about the gospel. Wow, was there affection between the two of us. Oh, we were so just in love with each other and just Pierre's a friend um, to me and... Uh, so show all of that to show you. A lot of you were here um, the last time Aaron spoke a couple months ago. And he spoke from Ephesians 6, and he shared 
he shared about Pierre, and he shared about Pierre's church and the lack of AC in the church, and he just only communicated those facts. We weren't asking for an offering. We weren't, but there was a guest here that Sunday, and that guest provided the funds to now, um, if you can take the next picture, we're in, P- we're in Pierre's house. And you can't tell, I don't have very good pictures, but there's two guys carrying in three air conditioners. Um, to provide the church and to provide now Pierre um, to have house uh, AC in his house as well. And so um, this was a treat for me because I didn't know what was going on. So I had just flown from Bogota into Barranquilla with Aaron. Unbeknownst to me, Juan and uh, Christian picked us up at the airport, drove straight to Pierre's house the three of them are talking in Spanish. I don't know what's going on. I think they're kind of keeping it from me. Um, and so we show up at Pierre's house, and I'm finding out, oh, Pierre doesn't know. Tim doesn't know, but Pierre doesn't know that he's being gifted these air conditioners for his church. And so it was an amazing time together. Um, and so this morning, they're, they're about wrapping up church, and uh, they've met with AC. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Well, joy is found there for sure, <laughs> if you live in a hot culture, but our text this morning speaks of joy on a whole nother level on a whole nother level, and it's just going to show us where joy is found, and Spoiler alert, it's found in the activity and character of God. The God that you serve. Joy is found in the character and the activity of God. This psalm is a poetic, joyful psalm. It's so expressive, you can almost feel, verse 9, the water splashing on your face. And the harvest that's growing so abundantly right before you, verse 10. The glory of the hills and the meadows and the valleys that stand before us, verses 11 and 12. It's a psalm of joy, a song of thanksgiving. If you're a guest new to us this morning, then you need to know we're working through a series, what we're calling Summer Psalms, and we're working through Psalms of Joy. And so that's why we land here this morning. This is a psalm that was sung, and it was sung by the entire congregation before God, verse number one. And we ought to be asking the question, well, why the joy? Why the thanksgiving? Why the singing? Well, the answer is because God is near and he is awesome in his creation, creative glory, and his providing, his provision glory. The big idea this morning of the sermon is joy is found in the blessed nearness of forgiveness the awesomeness of our creator, and the bounty of his provision. So let's dive into that. Number one, the joy of the nearness of God. This is verses one through four. Let me read it again for us. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Yes, it is. And to you shall vows be performed, O you who hears prayer. To you shall all flesh come when iniquities prevail against me. You atone for our transgressions. Hear the activity of the Lord in this text. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. 
We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. The psalmist gets right to it in verse number one. Praise is due, vows performed. Now, when it says praise is due, that could literally be translated praise is waiting, which is a little weird. That's why they translated praise is due to help us out. Praise is waiting or even praise is silent. And so we need to ask the question of the psalm, in what sort of way might praise be silent or in what sort of way might praise be in waiting? I take this to be the joyful anticipation of the praise of God's people, God's gathered people praising our God. Even that sense of praise is silent. It waits. It's hungry for. It's, it's, it's one of the things, it's oddly enough, it's one of the things I love about our prayer meeting at 9.15 Sunday mornings is it just begins to stir your heart. There's a sense of, okay, this is good. And what's coming next is all the saints gathered together under one roof, lifting our voices, praising our God, praises waiting in the prayer meeting, if you will. It's the awareness of the glory of God, the splendor of God, the grace of atonement that we'll see here in verse three in a moment. And so there's that praise, that silent praise, that waiting, that anticipating praise. Have you felt that? I feel that on a Sunday morning after the prayer meeting. Now we're waiting, we're, we're, we're talking, we're chatting, but there's also a sense of this is good and I'm glad to see you, but wow, I've come to worship my God. And in a few moments here, voices will be raised to worship the one and only God. Glory to his name be praised. And so that sense of anticipation for that next opportunity, we leave the building singing. And there's that anticipation. It's not that we don't sing during the week, we do. But there's something different when the church gathers together under one roof and raises their voice to sing about our great God. What an awesome God we serve because of grace and because of mercy and because his grace and mercy has been lavishly poured out on us. We anticipate, oh, when do we get to come together again? When do we get to sing together again? When do we get to lift our voices together again? When's that next opportunity where we get to burst into song about our great God? The goodness of God beckons us. It calls us, the calls the follower of Christ. And so Psalm 65 unpacks for us this, this beckoning, this grace call that's drawing us to worship him. Why? Well, verse two, O you who hears prayers. Verse three, you atone for our transgressions. Verse four, you chose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Listen, this psalm is not unique. All the psalms, they're not about you. They're not about me. This is, this is you who hear prayers, you who tone for transgressions, you who choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Praise be to God. The psalms are about our God. And it's just, 
It's not that we have nothing to play in the psalm. The, the response to the psalm, to who God is, is joy. Where is joy found? It's found in God. Above the circumstances, above the challenges that we find in this life, we find a greater joy. And so he hears our prayers, it says in verse 2, meaning God is not deaf to your cries. How encouraging is it to know that when you pray, God hears every prayer uttered. You've never prayed and not been heard. Now you've prayed and not received what you so desired. God is sovereign. God knows. But you've never uttered a prayer where God did not hear. I like to say, there is no vain prayer. There's no vain praying. There's no, there's no vanity to that. It's, it's when we pray. Are you entirely convinced that when you pray, your God hears? Because if you're entirely convinced, it will affect if you pray, and it will affect how you pray, and it will affect who you pray to. No vain prayers. God hears every prayer, every time we gather in that room, 915, all are welcome, all are invited. Thank you for those of you who come and we just seek God for 30 minutes together. Never have we gathered together and there was a vain prayer uttered. You see, to not hear prayer is to not be God. Only God can say he hears all prayers. You cannot even say to your spouse, that he or she hears all your requests. They don't. Only God hears every cry, every request. Who in all the universe is able to hear you? Only God. Verse two, God is unable to be deaf towards his people because it is literally in the character of God to hear your prayers. So I say to you, Trinity Community Church, Pray, pray. All who are sinners, pray. All who are weak, pray. All who are struggling with depression, with anxiety, with discouragement, with stress, pray. All who have children, right? Pray. All who are married, all who desire to be married, pray. All who live in this world of darkness, pray. All who know that this is your God who hears every prayer, pray. So let the prayer room of the church be full, if only for this one reason. God hears our prayers. Verse 3, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Joy, <laughs> joy. Do you believe the psalm that Christ has atoned for our sins? Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we, what is he going to say? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 5.20, later on, same chapter. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. 
joy. But I'm aware of my sinfulness. But I'm aware of that argument. But I'm aware of the way that I spoke to my children. But I'm aware of the way that I treated my spouse. Joy comes that in the midst of the iniquities, Christ has atoned for our transgressions. Joy. Sin separates us from God. We heard that from our psalm last week as well. Sin creates a barrier between us and God. Christ came. He died on the cross to remove the barrier between us and God. That's the point of the cross, to remove our sins, to give us his righteousness, to bring us back into a right relationship with God. Christ's death, it has atoned for our sins. We have no right to be heard by God. And yet he hears our every prayer. Our separation was dealt with, and now we are invited to draw near. He chose to bring us near, verse 4, blessed. We spoke about blessing last week. We talk in casual terms, you know, God bless you, or what a blessing, or this is such a blessing, or this is a blessing. (laughs) Right here, verse 4. You want to talk about blessing? Verse 4, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. That's blessing. Paul to the Ephesians would say it like this in chapter two. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, You want to hear joy? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You see, the the New Testament is going to unpack, well, verses 1 through 4 multiple times. We've already looked, Paul to the Romans, chapter five, Paul to the Ephesians, chapter two. We ended last week, 1 Peter 1. All of them are going to say the same thing and they're all gonna point to rejoice, joy, huh? Happy, happy joy. Your sins have been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Joy. It's supreme over the circumstances. Now, this is not put a smile on your face. This is not pretend to be happy joy. This is in the midst of the grief, the angst. Two years ago, our summer psalms were psalms of lament. But in the lament... There's a joy. Through the tears, there's a joy. My sins are atoned for. He's speaking here of all things in the Old Testament of a divine election. 
you chose, God chose. Blessed is the one God chose and brings near to dwell in your courts. I'm not saying that you did not choose to live for God. I'm saying you chose to live for God because God chose you. He moves first. If it were not for the activity of God, you would not be choosing God. Ephesians 1 puts it like this, blessed, blessed, again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And the psalmist says over you, you are blessed. Blessed is the one you chose and bring near to dwell in your courts. This is joy. We dwell with him because he came and dwelt with us. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. John Calvin says it like this, of this verse. He says, there is a blessedness in exercising trust upon God and in embracing his promises. A blessedness experienced when, through faith in Christ the mediator, we apprehend him as our father and direct our prayers to him in that character. But before this faith and prayer can have any existence, it must be supposed that we are estranged from God by nature, have been brought near by an exercise of his favor, we are near him, not as having anticipated his grace and come to him of ourselves, but because in his condescension, he has stretched out his hand as far as hell itself to reach us. This is joy. So to say draw near to God is to say joy. <laughs> it's to say joy in Christ it's to say joy because Christ has made this possible. Only Christ could accomplish this. To say that I'm going to draw near to God because of my good works this week is to say depression. Is to say absolute discouragement. Is to say not even possible. Sad reality. But to say Christ has atoned for our sin. Well, first of all, that he hears our prayers, that he atones for our sins, that he has blessed us and that he has chose us in him is to say joy, joy, joy. Blessed nearness. Number two is the joy of the awesomeness of God. Verses five through eight. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. O oh God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and evening to shout for joy. We'll stop there. So if point number one, there's joy in our blessed nearness due to the forgiveness 
and atonement of sin. Then point number two is their joy in the awesomeness of God who is our creator. He's the creator of all things that we see. He is awesome in his deeds, the psalmist tells us. And he says, awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, which is a little bit odd. What is he saying there? Some of your translations may say that he answers you in deliverance. Now, I want you to imagine the original hearer of the Psalms, God's people, the Israelites. When Israel heard the word deliverance, they would have immediately thought of God's powerful activity delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians. This is what would they would recall in the word deliverance. God's raising up of Moses, God's freeing them from slavery, God's splitting of the sea, the chase of the enemy, God's ultimate victory, deliverance. It was celebrated, Passover, year after year. Remember, deliverance, deliverance, deliverance. So why does the ESV, the translation I'm preaching from, translate this as righteousness? Well, it's because what's being described here is by God's awesome deeds, he answers us with righteousness, meaning he makes right that which is wrong. They were in slavery. God delivered them. He made that right, that which is wrong. So we could say he makes right what's wrong. He delivers, or we could say God's awesome deeds are righteous. Yeah, there's joy there, O God of our salvation. It's the very foundation of his being, the end of verse five, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. The hope, to what, ex- to what extent is he the hope? Oh, to the ends of the earth. It's the very foundation of his being, this hope. Over all of his creation, Some translate hope as trust. God is truly the only being, the only thing, the only only being that can be fully trusted. What can you trust? What do you trust? Your bank account? Your retirement fund? Your employment? Your health? Like all of last year exposed all of that more than any other year, right? Like what do you trust? relationships really with another sinner (laughs) the only thing you can ultimately and truly trust is the lord he's the only one that we can say that's gathered here this morning that is trustworthy (laughs) right we all have said you don't trust me no (laughs) the only one who is worthy of ultimate Trust is our God. And there's joy found there. And I love how he says us here. While it's true, by awesome deeds, you answer us. While it's uh, it's true, we could say, well, that's true of you and you and you and you and you. You know, individually, that is true. But I love how regularly scripture and here, the Psalms, so regularly point us to us the community of believers, us. He, by awesome deeds, you answer us, the community of God. 
we need to continually see that Scripture writes to a plural people. We too often read it individualistically. And we do harm. Verse 6 then points us to the glory of the mountains. Verse 7, to the glory of the sea. Verse 6, by his strength, we have, we have mountains, which is to speak of him as the creator. So the psalmist is saying, oh my God, and his awesome deeds and his glory. And he points us to God's power as creator. And then in verse 7, he says that he stills the roaring seas, which is to say he's not only creator, verse 6, but he's also Lord Master, verse 7 meaning he's Lord of the sea. He's creator of the mountains. He's Lord of the sea. It's unpacking two different attributes of God there. So he stills the roaring seas, verse seven, which recalls probably to our mind, Mark chapter four, where Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. A huge storm kicks up. It's a storm large enough or threatening enough that the disciples are terrified for their lives. And so they wake Jesus up and they accuse him. Don't you care? We're about to perish. Don't you care? Mark 4 then picks up and Jesus speaking, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. They were afraid during the storm. Now they're filled with great fear because holiness is in their boat. They're standing before an awesome God. And they're filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea Obey him. Answer, he's the Lord of the sea. He's the creator of the mountain, verse 6. He's the Lord of the sea, verse 7. That's not all these verses are saying. The end of 7 says, the tumult of the peoples. Most commentaries speak of this as political tumult. So he's the, he's the, He's the Lord over the political chaos of the world, the peoples, the nations. The psalmist is communicating here in the middle of the unrest. What? He's creator. He's Lord. I just love this so much. Lord, thank you for your word. In the middle of the political unrest, in the middle of the COVID unrest, in the middle of relational unrest, in the middle of an employment unrest, in the middle of uncertainty unrest, rest in this. Christ is Lord over all. When seas of unrest rage, God brings peace. Seas are calmed. Enemies are raging around you. God stills the waters. Verse 9, where there is drought, God is the God who hears our prayers. The point is that God is not only Lord, master over created things, creation things. I mean, I know all things are created, but he's also Lord over the nations. It's not just a mountain and a sea, 
but nations. How great is our God. Consider humanity that rejects this glory of God. In arrogance, humanity resists this glory of God, the voice of the Lord. And so let's put all this together. The joy of nearness that we see in the first four verses. The nearness of God because of his atonement carries us along to the joy of the hope that we have in God who is awesome in his creating glory and in his mastering glory, which brings us to verse number eight, so that it begins with, so that purpose When you hear that, it's purpose, purpose statement. Here it comes. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs, are are in worship of you. Awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Meaning you make the from sun up to sundown and to the ends of the earth. You are to be praised. You are to be worshiped because of who you are. Number three, the joy of the provision of God. So point one, there's joy in our blessed nearness due to the forgiveness of our iniquities. Number two, there's joy in the awesome glory of our God who is creator and master. And number three, there is joy in God, our provider. Look at verse nine. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, so you have prepared it. Your water is furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. It's the joy found in the harvest. And this is a different culture than our culture. We miss the joy in, this, in, the, in the moment. Because joy for us is I went to Publix, <laughs> you know, and, this, and the shelves were full. That's not this culture. There's joy in the harvest. We have food to eat. There was a harvest this year. Imagine if we didn't know what it was like to just walk into the grocery store and everything that we wanted was there except for a few paper products last year. But here in this culture, you lived on the land. If you didn't plant it, you didn't eat. What you planted, you fed yourself and your family with. If it didn't grow, you went hungry. So this is a joyful song about God as our provider. And they're celebrating the provision of God. And I love the imagery of God visiting the earth. When you visit a friend, well, when I was in Colombia, before I went to Colombia, I was like, I gotta take Juan and his wife and Eduardo and his wife. I gotta take a gift. I wanna take something. And so I went and bought some Titusville t-shirts and gave them some t-shirts and it's just fun. They appreciate it. They've been to Titusville. So it had some meaning and sounds silly to us, but I didn't want to go empty handed. I want to give them something. The Lord visits the earth. 
He provides. And he doesn't give t-shirts. <laughs> the good gifts that he gives, we've already been rehearsing. The provision of the Lord, ultimately, ultimately, is your salvation. When God visits the whole earth, he provides lavishly. God is our provider. So verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Do you see, do you hear just the lavish provision of our God? It's not sparse. If I could have the worship team come join me on the platform. And all of that takes place, it starts with the pastures of the wilderness overflow. So the psalmist is setting up a contrast there, right? The wilderness overflows. It's to say the, the, wilderness, that, the wilderness that is empty overflows. The wilderness that is darkness overflows in God's provision. The wilderness, that's biblically, it's a picture of lifeless, dark, emptiness, but in the darkness and the emptiness and the lifelessness, it's overflowing in the abundant provision of our God. He visits them with rain and the pastures overflow with life. The wilderness overflows. The hills are girded with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks. Valleys are decked with grain. And all of it turns out, if you will, in their Sunday best to worship our God. As they gather together, if you will, to shout and sing. They shout and sing together for joy. God came and visited them in the wilderness. These hills, these pastures, these. He came and he visited you in the wilderness, in your darkness, in your emptiness. When you had no life, Christ came and he visited you. And because he did, you came to repentance and faith. And now you are no longer darkness, but you are in the light. You once did not have life, but now you have new life in Christ Jesus. Because he has provided everything lavishly for your salvation. So the people join with the mountains and the valleys and the hills, lifting their voices together to worship our awesome God. He came. He was the gift. And your life now overflows in abundance. And he visits us every day. And there will be a day of ultimate visitation. And on that day, when Christ comes yet again, the second coming of Christ, all of creation and all of God's people will be singing and shouting with great joy as the provision is lavishly supplied for all of eternity. One, there's joy in our blessed nearness due to the forgiveness and atonement of sin. Two, there's joy in the awesomeness of our God, the creator. And three, there is joy in God, our provider. Stand together.
Let's lift our voices and sing. What an awesome God we serve. God, we thank you that we can be gathered here together with the church. Maybe perhaps we've even been silent in our praise, even as it's been being preached, awaiting the opportunity. Would he just please get it over with and be done so I can lift my voice and sing to my God, my awesome God. Well, church, now is that opportunity. Let's lift our voices to our great God.